So we're uh, in Rutten, at Rutten Branch, we're interested in, um, like I said, old things, but we're also interested in uh, how we as people living now um, who have brains, who question things, um, who are grateful for science and modern thought, how we can uh, reconcile these two things or, and, and bring sort of our whole self into this tradition, not have to suspend the part of us that asks questions or, or thinks. Um, in light of that, we are, we're, some stuff we do is old and some stuff we do is new. So we're following the liturgical calendar, which is this kind of, um, not super old, but uh, it's a traditional thing where it organizes the year, the, the, the calendar into a different kind of time. It organizes it around important events in the life of Jesus, of Nazareth, uh, so we get Christmas and Easter, and then it's got these seasons. You get Christmas season, Advent leads up to it, Easter, Lent leads up to Easter, and then there's Epiphany, and now we're in what's called ordinary time. And uh, we are uh, interested in, you know, seeing what's there, what's there in these, this old way of organizing the year, these old stories that we read each Sunday. So ordinary time is um, traditionally kind of a time when you read stories about Jesus's life be between birth, incarnation, and death um, on Easter and resurrection on Easter. Um, it's also a time where you maybe explore the context of that whole story. So that includes the, what Christians call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Um, for us, we're also going to be like, this is the modern part of us. We're, because it's so hard to make sense of, uh, of, of being a religious person in some ways, um, unless you're really good at uh, splitting yourself. Um, we're, gonna, we're, we're bringing like concepts and ideas into that calendar. So we're using this old calendar, but we're also sort of um, mapping on top of it some concepts that we think will help us, hopefully, uh, um, uh, make more sense of, be able to live into this tradition um, in a way that's not always evident. So uh, this month, we've been exploring a little bit this, like, this concept called revelation. So in theology, systematic theologies, often revelation is one of the early concepts they talk about because it's sort of like, how can we, how can we talk about any of this stuff? God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, salvation, eschatology, you know, what, the final things where everything's headed. How can we even... Um, know what we're talking about? How can we ha brush up against anything that, because these are not things that are um, measurable with a microscope or a, you know, um, a ruler. Those are the main things we use to measure things, right? <laughs> Microscopes and rulers. Uh, the, uh, how, so how can we know that this stuff um, is real or matters or, or start to talk about how we can, uh, we can brush up against it? Um, it's, so it's sort of this like, um, almost like a pre, uh, like a, a prequel, or a, not a prequel, but like a preface to, to all the stuff that comes after. Um, so I'm gonna just say, can you go to the next slide? Or anything? I, I was gonna rig up my phone. Oh, and that, uh, I couldn't figure that out. But yes, oh, that's so small. Okay, bear with my early PowerPoint um, skills. So uh, I just want to, I have like five or six things here about Revelation. There, there's more to say. Um, unfortunately, I'm not going to reveal it all. Uh, but so the first is that um, it's a whole other way of knowing. Um, 
this is something that I think is cool about being someone who's at least even curious about being about religion or going to church, is that um, there's a kind of knowing that's been talked about, uh, embodied for thousands and thousands of years. But if you look around, uh, oh, here's, here come some feminists. Um, but uh, it's sort of been hidden from view. It's kind of been, come on in, come on in. Hey, welcome, welcome. How is the beach? Awesome. Cool. Hey, Chelsea. Um, Oh, yeah, so there aren't, there aren't many like, parts in the landscape of, of, the, of what's going on today where places where this whole other kind of knowing is talked about. Um, there's sort of, uh, um, you know, the, the scientific way of knowing critical thinking, reason, um, you, you know, is it verified? And then there's also just kind of like, um, I believe it because I saw it on my Facebook feed or because someone said it, like kind of a blind trust. Uh, revelation is neither one of those. And it's this, um, I would argue, a really important way of knowing things. Um, not just more information, but information uh, or, or, or knowledge uh, um, that is really important for our, for our lives. It's, it's a, it tells us who we really are and, and, and what kind of people we can be and how we can be in relationship. So, Oh, great. All right, you're way ahead of me. So I would say it's not opposed to reason and natural science, but it may challenge views that are based solely on that. So if you only get information that way, um, you might have a worldview that revelation uh, challenges. But the idea is not that it con necessarily contradicts it. Um, it's not simply like miracle. That's, that's not the same as revelation. Revelation uh, is sort of an expanding. Um, and the word literally comes from meaning unveiling. So it unveils what it's hidden, um, that despite appearances. So, so uh, there's more maybe than this, but I thought these were three kind of big things. Um, despite appearances, despite evidence to the contrary, and maybe you go around your, your life always feeling these things or knowing these things deeply within you, you are infinitely beloved and safe. Be more is possible than you thought. And see, you have an important role in all of this. So um, I'm not saying this is all that Revelation reveals, but these are kind of three uh, things. Also, D, get over yourself. That's the other part. <laughs> um, so uh, an important thing to say is that it's a continual process. This is not a one and done kind of thing. Um, Revelation did not uh, end with the events recounted in scripture. Um, and if you had some powerful revelatory experience, it's not, it's not over for you. Um, is there one more? Oh, here. So the claim that a theologian, Christian theologian, would make is that seeing God in Jesus as the revealed yet hidden God, this is really important that um, theologians who talked about this say that even once you experience God revealed, um, God is still somehow hidden, even in that revelation. So what's revealed to you is the hidden God. Um, and that's really important. So it's kind of like goes along with the first one. It's not a final, you know everything and you're done. Um, it's not like a secret knowledge. That was an early Christian heresy. Gnosticism was like, we have this secret special knowledge. We see, we know the true God. Everyone else is wrong. Uh, Christian way of talking about this is very different. That uh, the thing you know, what, you, uh, what comes into your frame of reference is still heavily laden with mystery. It's sort of a, a mystery that's come closer to you, but that is still mystery. 
Um, so this hidden revealed God allows us to have courage to open to more and more of this destabilizing, uh, enlivening revelation rather than what we often do, which is retreat into sort of a defensive posture of suspicion. Um, so something about, uh, this is what Christian theologians would say is that God revealed in Jesus is important because um, it actually allows us to go uh, fearlessly into the unknown, uh, specifying and localizing, put, saying this is, what, this is where God is revealed helps us to actually um, not have more certainty about, oh, I know exactly who God is, what God is, and you're wrong, but um, allows you to step into the unknown, uh, meet what's different in other, I would say, including other faiths, including other things, um, in a way that is more courageous and more open to that. Okay, can go to the next one? Okay, so um, this is, so one thing that is helpful to distinguish uh, Revelation from is um, this concept of epiphany. Um, so epiphany is, uh, has anyone had like, an, like a huge epiphany in their life? Like, like a, whoa, like a, a moment of big, just raise your pinky if you haven't. No? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, few people. Um, so this is Archimedes. Maybe you've heard of this one. The word Eureka comes from Archimedes, who got in a bathtub and realized suddenly that his body made the water go up, and he found like a way to measure volume. And this was huge. Like they didn't know how to do it before. Like how much water is displaced, displaced equals whatever the volume of what went into it. He was so excited that he like ran um, naked through the streets. Apparently, that's it. Um, he got a nice physique. Newton, you know the. That's like a totally made up story, I think, but that's another famous eureka moment. Uh, next one. Oh, here, and there's, in literature, um, James Joyce, it was recently Bloomsday celebrating uh, uh, Ulysses, publication of Ulysses. Um, there's this famous uh, epiphany moment. So when people talk about non-religious epiphany, they often talk about James Joyce. At the end of the novel, it's sort of autobiographical, um, a portrait of the artist as a young man. There's this famous line, Welcome, O life, I go to encounter for the millionth time the reality of experience and to forge in the smithy of my soul the uncreated conscience of my race. It's also, it, it, it's, um, it, you'll notice that it's very much a, uh, um, I don't want to say self-centered, but a uh, lonely, heroic artist confronting uh, what's unformed, coming in and saying, I can, I can do this. This is me. I'm the one. It's in my hands to create uh, the conscience, the, the new forms for my people. OK, so all of these kinds of revelation are, um, like I said, not religious. And there's sort of a lot of debate in theology about whether um, these sort of uh, secular epiphanies have something in common with revelation, or if they're totally different, they're just about nature and ourselves. They don't reveal anything about ultimate things like God. Um, so this is a picture of my daughter, Glory. Um, it's actually a video, but don't push the, push the thing yet. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to pre, did you do it? Don't do it. Okay. Oh, you did. Um, you're fired. Uh, the pre, uh, oh, it's hard to preach when you have a newborn. Um, not just because you're always exhausted, that's true. Not because you're uh, usually have your hands full, so it's hard to type, uh, or because you're um, 
preoccupied, those things are all true. But because uh, what's right before your eyes, what's there in your sort of in front of you is so um, compelling and huge and important and powerful and beautiful that it's hard to um, uh, go into a sort of inward imaginary space, where, you know, um, where, which is where I encounter, um, if I'm reading the Bible uh, or, or praying, that they, it's like what's right here before me is the, that's, the, that's the shit right there. Like, I don't, I don't need this other, God, what the hell are you talking about? Like, revelation, you know, that's revelation. My baby's face. So play, I'll play the video. Yeah, yeah, like, just watch how hard it will be to listen to me when you're looking at this adorable baby. Oh, you hear their sound? So you can make fart sounds and they, um, experience it as revelation. They experience it as revelatory. Look at her eyes. Like, ha have you, you know, if revelation is this kind of surprising, um, out of nowhere experience, like to her that's what a is, is like. And, um, and, and watching that and seeing this face, uh, I feel like I have the final word on, on uh, I don't think I, I feel like I don't need any more information about what's important, or or how to live my life, um, and so so when I'm sitting here trying to think about uh, these theologians who say no, it's not, uh, that's not it, that's not enough. You need um, God as revealed in Jesus Christ, uh, witnessed to in the Holy Scriptures. Um, uh, if this is your revelation, if life is your revelation, you're you're missing the boat. I, I feel um, I get kind of angry. Um, go to the next slide. So here's the guy, Karl Barth is the um, theologian who says this most famously in the 20th century, a Swiss theologian. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think he had a bunch of children, actually. Uh, he had a weird setup. He had a live-in mistress. Anyways, he, um, he's, he's, he wrote too many words. Basically, for him, he was writing um, some of his big, biggest work in the you know, German-speaking part of Europe as the Nazis were coming to power. Um, and for him, uh, talking about revelation as sort of being careful about what we say is uh, where we should look for God to be revealed is um, related to his worry about human beings' tendency to uh, place their ultimate allegiance, um, shape their lives around um, false gods, dangerous gods. Um, gods like the state or the nation or, or a race um, to when we're feeling um, unsteady, uncertain, uh, bad, to find, to try to find a safe place where we're loved and where we have an important role and where uh, we've got something to do in these destructive things, these, these destructive to others and to ourselves things. Um, so go ahead. So for him, revelation is, you know, uh, in these, these acts of God that are told in the Bible. He didn't worship the Bible. He thought the Bible was still a human document. Um, so he's not a fundamentalist. He's, he's saying that uh, it's an imperfect uh, attempt to capture these revelatory acts of God. So there's Moses with the burning bush. Here's Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, it's another revelatory. And, and for ultimately, for him, it was in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, that God's decisive revelation happened, where 
where the, the, what we mean when we say God and what that means for our lives is kind of shown to us. Um, what's the next one? Okay, so the story. Uh, today, I didn't even read the scripture today, but I, I don't want to read the whole thing, but I just want to tell you the story really briefly. Um, this is from the lectionary. Uh, it's the story of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham's the father of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, and God decides, Abraham, you're going to, um, you're special. I'm going to single you out, and you're going to be the father. Today's Father's Day, by the way. Uh, that's why you had to watch my cute little daughter, because it's my day. Um, uh, is Abraham, you're special, and you're going to found a special people, the people who become Israel. Um, and we're going to have this special agreement, this covenant, you and me. You're going to have so many kids, you won't know what to do with them. Um, as many as the stars in the sky, uh, except that there's one problem. Abraham is like 100 years old, and they, don't have any, they haven't had any kids yet. His, his wife, Sarah, is old, too. So uh, there's this beautiful story. The more famous Abraham story is like Abraham and Isaac. But there's a beautiful story where Sarah is kind of the main character, his wife. And uh, they're in the desert. Um, and three uh, travelers, three like thirsty, hungry, dirty, Strangers show up. And Abraham, this is probably why God chose him, he's this special, special guy, uh, welcomes them in and says, I'm going to give you something to drink. I'm going to kill my best goat, whatever, feed it to you. He welcomes these strangers in. Um, well, these strangers happen to be God. One of the strangers said, uh, says, Sarah, you're going to have, um, Sarah's going to have a baby next time we come around. And Sarah overhears this in the tent. She's old, and she laughs to herself. And then there's this weird shift where it's suddenly God. God is like, wait, Sarah, why'd you, why did Sarah laugh? And then Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. Uh, that was not me. And, and, and uh, God's like, don't you think I can do wonderful things? And Sarah, um, and then God is like, What's the opposite of like, oh, no, you didn't? Like, oh, yes, you did. God's like, you did laugh. I heard you laugh, because I'm God. And, um, and then some other stuff happens. And then Sarah gets pregnant. And then names her son, Isaac. He will laugh. Um, because God brought me laughter. Who would have thought an old lady could have a, a baby? Um, and you know, when you when you surface reading that story, it seems like Sarah is is scared that God's going to punish her for being insubordinate. But I, I wonder if something is really going on is when God says, "Don't you think I can do wonderful things?" Says Sarah was afraid of God. That, was her laughter um, in part that, descent, that sort of defensive, suspicious posture that we take? that more is possible than we thought, that good things can really happen, that we can really, um, we, can, we can have the things we most deeply desire, um, that her fear of, of God is not that she's going to get punished, but suddenly fear of just the mystery of like we don't know what's happening. And, 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 and that sucks. That's scary. Um, so go, what's the next one? 
Okay, so back to the Nazis for a second. <laughs> Sorry. Um, um, there, there's a. Uh, some of you may have heard this. Heard of this? It's called the alt right. Do people know what the alt right is? Um, that's that's something we should debate, like whether the alt right is welcome in this space or not. <laughs> the alt right. Um, the alt right was something that a lot of people thought was a joke for a long time. It was kind of they're on the internet. These sort of Trolls who laugh at everything, including all the uh, what they what they would say politically correct niceties of, of our time, the sort of things their parents' generation maybe or, or mainstream society holds as sacred, um, and they helped get Donald Trump elected. People say, who knows? Um, but he's certainly been nice to them and thanked them. Um, I got fascinated in them recently because a, someone I went to school with, a, a, an old friend of mine, um, I suddenly put two and two together and I realized he is, uh, got into this alt-right stuff. He's one of the smartest people I know. And I thought it was kind of a joke. He was the kid who always was into the most obscure music in, in junior high and high school. He, he kind of knew what was cool before it happened. Um, and he would also say provocative things, sort of like mocking things. You never knew what was serious. So for a while, I thought when he would say these kind of provocative things, I thought it was a joke. But it turns out it's kind of real. And it's scary stuff, because a uh, big segment of the alt-right is proudly white nationalist. Um, can you do this? So here's Richard Spencer. He sort of uh, he came up with the term alternative right, um, and uh, he's got one of the, he's got a hipster haircut, uh, which is a fascist like a it's called a fashy haircut, um, which like a lot of people had for a while. Uh, he um, you know he's he's a Nazi, he's he says he's not a Nazi but he's a Nazi, uh, and. When I went home to Minnesota recently, I saw this friend of mine. And I kind of realized, OK, this is really for real. And, and we didn't talk much. I was, seeing, I was seeing a bunch of friends at the same time. But when I was coming back to Chicago, I, I thought to myself, that perspective, that way of viewing things, that because you're white, um, you're, you have this automatic superiority, supremacy, is so hard for me to understand, like what can this smart person, because this guy went to the same school that Tim and I went to, he went to University of Chicago, got his master's, started a PhD at Duke, um, Richard Spencer, uh, he's, he's really smart, he knows a lot of philosophy. Um, how can someone go there? How can someone believe that? How can someone really be there? And I think encountering my friend made me feel like, well, there's got to be some way, even if it's totally wrong, I think it is wrong, there's got to be some way it makes some kind of, it could make some kind of sense. It could be, uh, it could give someone something they needed or wanted. And I was driving late at night, Allison and the kids were sleeping, we were driving home, and I was just kind of imagining, I was like, what is it? What could, be, what could it be about being a racist? That, make, that feels good? What could it be about being a racist that makes you feel maybe some of those things I was talking about? And suddenly it hit me. And I kind of imagined myself, tried to imagine it. I was like, what would it feel like to be proud of being white? And for a split second, it lasted about a split second, I felt really good. 
because I felt, whoa, automatically, there's nothing I have to do, nothing I have to prove, nothing I have to um, achieve. I'm the shit, I'm the best. Like just because of the color of my skin, I am awesome. Like that in its structure is the same as when Christians talk about the concept of grace, of like the only satisfying kind of love is one that feels on, that in some ways unconditional. That's not conditional on your achievements or how, you've, how well you've done in the past. And I was like, what these people are searching for is that. And suddenly, instead of seeing this guy and friend Seth, Delete that from the record. <laughs> um, uh, my, my friend who should go unnamed, um, as monsters, I saw them as like humans who are seeking something um, that I'm seeking, but in a, a really messed up way, in a way that um, Bart, Carl Bart, the funny pipe smoking theologian, would say, can never really satisfy that deep craving we have, deep need we have for love, um, and is uh, idolatrous is destructive, is evil. Um, so, I don't know, that felt like a mini revelation to me. It, it, um, in the story where God visits Sarah and Abraham, they come as strangers, as others, as, as people who we could be suspicious of. Um, I'm not saying we should go all, I'll go out and uh, embrace a Nazi, but I will say this. Uh, has anyone seen the YouTube video of this guy getting punched in the face? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I used to watch that uh, sometimes, and it made me feel a little happy, a little better. I thought it was pretty kind of awesome. It was like, yeah, punch a Nazi. Um, after I sort of had this mini revelation, I also read an article or two about this guy. I, I as I was preparing this sermon, I watched that video again just to see how I'd feel. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I just felt kind of sick to my stomach when I, when I saw it this time. I didn't feel like, yeah, punch that ass in the face. I felt like, oh man, it, it sucks to get, it would suck, it would be so horrible to get punched in the face. And I think for revelation to be revelation, it has to not just make us feel loved and safe and make us feel like we have a special important place in the world. There's something, some meaning or reason for our existence or um, we're known. It has to also um, make us want that for everyone else, no matter how awful they, they seem to us, how different. Um, is there any more slides? Oh, <laughs> that's the matrix. The alt-right talks about, just, uh, this is a thread that I'm not going to explore, but they talk about getting red-pilled. This is maybe an internet meme, too. Like, when you have this sudden epiphany, uh, and you see that, yes, this horrible racist ideology, ideology is true. Just to show that epiphany, there can be uh, pretty awful epiphanies. Um, let me go to the next one. Oh, so to tie it to laughter. Um, uh, the laughter that Sarah does in the beginning is this kind of, like, yeah, right, laughter, like scornful laughter. Um, at the end, I think the laughter, the fact that she names her son, he will laugh, talks about a different laughter that comes from true revelation where we feel joy and, 
and also where we can laugh at ourselves, I think. Um, don't take yourself so seriously. Go to the next one. Okay, that's just a quote. Um, the, uh, so laughter is not this minor theme in the Bible. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, if you're you who weep, you're going to laugh. Um, I want to try something right now. Uh, and uh, this might be a horrible idea. But has anyone heard of laughing, laughter yoga? Laughing yoga? Um, have you tried it ever? Have you done it? OK, we're going to do it. Um, uh, it sounds appropriationist, but there's actually a tradition in, the, in Christianity of holy laughter. It's controversial. Some people think it's satanic, so we'll find out for ourselves uh, if Satan himself appears. Uh, but in a lot of revival movements, in, Method in Methodism, in uh, sort of holiness traditions, sometimes people would spontaneously start laughing at these tent revivals. Um, and some people thought that was a sign of the Holy Spirit. Um, so everyone has to stand up. Stand up. Um, the first thing you do, we're going to take some deep breaths. So. Um, Everyone take a deep breath in. <sighs> that was out. In. <sighs> out. Release. Reach up to the sky. <sighs> and let your arms down. <sighs> um, and now we're going to uh, do a quick uh, practice laughing. So the principle of, of laughter yoga is that you don't actually have to um, feel like you're going to laugh or, or think something is funny to experience the healing powers of laughter. Um, so we're going to do a quick practice. Which we're going to say, ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. That's the state. OK, so, so everyone together. Ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. Ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. OK, that was good. Um, and now the, uh, there are many different exercises that are supposed to help you spontaneously laugh. Um, one of them I thought was kind of funny was, uh, oh, it's laughing and arguing at the same time. So you might ask, how can you be laughing and arguing at the same time? The answer is, <laughs> so I want you to turn to people around you and just try, just try that. And, and don't stop, even if it's not funny. Just kind of keep doing it for a little while. Um, let's do it. OK. <laughs> And that was another exercise, um, which is reading your credit card bill and laughing at the same time. So it's like you pick it up, open it, open the envelope, take it out. <laughs> so now do that to each other right now. So pick it up, open it up. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, so you get the idea. So uh, I'm not sure if this will become part of our permanent liturgy, but um, I always wanted to try it out. So thank you all. God bless you. Okay.